Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Welcome to another episode of the Once for All Delivered podcast. I am Andrew Smith. And I am Caleb Castro most of the times. What are you other times? Well, I'm really not myself uh, when I'm hungry. Oh. uh, That's when you say... I was gonna. I mean, I could say the thing about Snickers, but they don't pay us to advertise their product on our show. So once for all, delivered. Brought to you by Snickers. Yeah, except not unless Snickers wants to kick a few dollars our way. To um, speaking of dollars, since Snickers won't kick us a few dollars, if you like what we're doing and you're interested in what we're doing. Uh, want to see us do more, want to see us do better, you could consider becoming a paid subscriber. We've had a few people now that have, and we're thankful for that. But it'll uh, help us uh, with the show. it gets you access to some benefits. We have a, a subscriber chat set up. Once we have a bit of a subscriber base, we'll do some subscriber-only content. Uh, we'll make it worth your while, or at least try to. Since Snickers won't help us. Yeah, they they won't kick us uh, a few dollars. They might just kick us. But, uh, yeah, really, uh, shameless uh, advertisement plug. Really, there's a lot of stuff that we have planned um, and would like to be able to do. Uh, you know, time is the primary enemy. Uh, we're not in a rush, but, you know, getting content out, content out just takes time. Yeah, it also just so happens that both of us serve full-time in churches and are uh, also in the midst of ordination exams for our respective denominations. Though those should be ending in a couple months here, and we can uh, be a little more freed up maybe to do whatever it is we're doing here. (laughs) Yeah, if you would like to help us figure out what we're doing and give money for that, then, uh, yeah. No, really, though. um, Yeah, we're excited to be able to continue doing this uh, with the support that we have presently. uh, And prayers are always, um, you know, are always requested. Though uh, financial sponsorship uh, does help us out in being able to do things a little bit Uh, more well better well with uh with that uh we have a topic that is not about shamelessly asking for sponsorship and that topic correct is uh uh that topic is um social welfare just kidding (laughs) well i mean it's related partially but i mean this is Our next topic is basically where we have been building to ever since we uh, rebranded, relaunched as Once for All Delivered with this series on the Christian and culture. We've been talking about a lot of different uh, foundational concepts, 
like uh, nature and grace, church-state relations, and then we've been working through various modern theories of these issues, all to build up to finally get to, okay, so where are you guys at? What do you guys think? And uh, we are here to make our case, finally, at long last, for a version of Kyperian Sphere Sovereignty. There, just put the cards on the table right at the beginning. And more likely than not, this episode, whenever it is released, already has something to that effect in its title, so you already know what you're getting into. Plus, we said back at the very, very beginning that this was where we were going, and now we're finally here months later. It's true. We we do things slow, and that's okay. We like to take our time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Now, with all these different views, here uh, with uh, Sphere Sovereignty, this is an idea that was really developed, if not originated. Uh, the, the ideas were already present in, in time past, uh, but these ideas were really... Uh, organized and developed by Abraham Kuyper, um, the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century theologian, statesman, college founder, etc., etc. If you're listening to this more likely than not, you already know the name, but otherwise uh, we won't go into a biography here. But this position on sphere sovereignty, let's start off here, um, with, I guess, with a Two questions, and then I'll turn it over to Andrew if you'd like to pick it up. At some point, every believer has to ask uh, the questions, are we Christians only at church? Uh, And a related question, does the church exist outside of the service, outside of the gathering and its formal administrative uh, activities? Right, or... To put it in more the technical terms and the terms by which this discussion is typically held, does the church exist outside of the institutional church? And really, in these questions is where you will find a lot of the differences, a lot of the discrepancies as it pertains to this view versus some of the other views that we have been surveying thus far. So we have looked at, uh, for instance... Well, I mean, we've surveyed some of the non-reformed views briefly, things like Anabaptist views, things like Lutheran views. But then more recently, uh, we've gotten into theonomy, which uh, we actually got some feedback from some theonomists about uh, our treatment of theonomy. And they have some thoughts and we're I don't want to give away too much, but we're working on setting something up to where uh, we will give. Uh, some of our theonomist friends an opportunity to uh, maybe do better than we did in describing their views. But anyway, leaving that aside for a moment, we've also looked at the modern, or as I branded it, Escondido Two Kingdoms view. Now, I think having those views before we get to this one is helpful because uh, we can present the contrast to what has kind of become the predominant views of our day. And also because the views, those views, the both the theonomy area and camp generally, and then the uh, Escondido Two Kingdoms camp, have some things to say about Kuiper and about sphere sovereignty that I think we need to talk about and that I think we need to deal with. Uh, there is a tendency 
in the Two Kingdoms camp that uh, essentially all things associated with Kuyperianism or Neo-Calvinism, so this would include the thoughts of the early Neo-Calvinists like Kuyper and Bavink, and then some of the later deviations, and we'll get into why and how those deviations probably as we go along, kind of all get lumped together, and then they all get dismissed. Uh, because this deals with how you answer that first question that Caleb posed. Is there Christianity outside of the church? And in general, while they probably would not affirm this explicitly, functionally in the Escondido Two Kingdoms camp, there is very little of Christianity that is outside of the church. Um, essentially, corporate worship is is the church. Um, word and sacrament ministry, ordinary means of grace ministry is where the church starts and where the church ends. It's like I said, I don't think they would say this explicitly, but functionally, when you start to pick apart the details, that is what you have. So, for instance, you will see in that view a de-emphasis of things like Christian education, which as we go through this, we'll see is a very important feature and distinctive uh, this view, we start, we see de-emphasis of the doctrine of vocation. In fact, you'll often hear sort of, sort of put up as a straw man mockery of things like Christian plumbing and <laughs> Christian baseball and Christian hole digging. Oh, it's so ridiculous that people could think these exist. And, uh, but we need to know that properly understood these things can and do exist. And we will talk about why. Now in the theonomy camp, their critiques of Kuiper and sphere sovereignty tend to come up more in the realm of essentially they sort of attribute to Kuiperianism the same critique they would level against something like the Escondido Two Kingdoms view is that it is uh, uh, some sort of secular pluralism uh, that it does not uh, properly or highly enough regard God's authority, God's word. Now, it's not an establishmentarian position, so that is a definite and real difference that we'll need to get into. Um, but there are those critiques that come in as well. So that kind of situates the view that we're going to advocate here in this taxonomy we've been building and setting up. Now, what is also ironic about all of this is that in both the theonomic camp and the Escondido Two Kingdoms camp, they claim an affinity for Kuiper's own thought, and they claim that their view actually is a faithful or the most faithful mediation of his thought. So to put it uh, rather simplistically, this is a phrase I find myself using a lot, is that everybody wants a piece of Abraham Kuiper, but nobody really wants to let him speak for himself. And so... What we're hoping to do here is maybe bring some corrective to that issue. And speak for him. I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, we will speak for him. He's dead. He can't really speak. But, I mean, we do have his works. We do have his thought. In fact, a lot of this stuff has just only in the last few years appeared in English for the first time. So uh, He's dead. Uh, sort of like with the the Bavink Renaissance that we've been riding the wave of a bit uh there's an opportunity for a similar reckoning with Kuiper in the English-speaking world now that uh, some of his major works have now only recently been translated. Yeah, um, and I was thinking, Andrew, uh, another related aspect of this whole thing, which is this question's not 
particularly easy to answer in a sense uh, as uh, these various positions would answer it differently. Uh, if I was to ask the question, is God sovereign over all things, including the broader areas of civic society, not just the church? How would we respond? Typically, everyone would agree, uh, at least in these camps, that, yeah, God is sovereign over all. But the, the question has to be uh, specified further to, um, does God exercise his authority through the various human institutions? And are these human institutions then, uh, in light of that, accountable to God uh, to obey God's uh, moral law, for example? How does the various institutions of society relate to God's sovereignty is, is, is the question and their functions. And just when we say institutions, uh, just have in mind things like the state, the civil government, schools, like Andrew mentioned, uh, this would be the marketplace, uh, the entertainment industry and media, uh, so on and so forth, um, just as examples. But that's really the heart in uh, what's trying to be sorted out here. Just as the example, there's th that concept what we brought up at the beginning of this uh, series, I believe it was, uh, in the first couple episodes or so, of divine right, the divine right of kings, the divine right of the government. How do we understand that in relationship to the church uh, and, and particularly in sphere sovereignty? Sphere sovereignty, uh, if I can begin with just a, a rough sketch, uh, and then if Andrew wants to uh, chime in as well with it. Sphere sovereignty, uh, you think of, uh, if you could imagine it, think of a circle like a hubcap or a large wheel. You have the center point and then spokes that go out from it, from that center point. That center point is essentially the word of God. The church uh, basically gets its equipping and it's, uh, you think in terms of sanctification, it gets, it gets what is needed to live out faith in all areas of life. Um, from that center point of the word, the Christian uh, goes out and interacts with the various institutions uh, just by day-to-day -day necessity. Uh, you know, we send our kids to schools. We, you know, interact with or e even passively in just viewing and uh, such of politics. Uh, we all consume media. The word basically equips and sends out the Christians in these various areas. Um, so th th that's, that's the sphere itself. God is universal sovereign, but he exercises his uh, authority through the administration of these various institutions. And each one of these institutions have their own particular tasks uh, or functions under the authority of God. God permits them to be set up for this and that reason. Um, so for the, the state, uh, what is the state's responsibility? Just as example, the state is directly instituted uh, by God and it is delegated 
the authority of the power of the sword, as we've spoken of in previous episodes. And that is in order to organize, order, and protect the functions of society uh, in curbing wickedness, punishing evil. The state, however, uh, is not the church. It is not directly under the authority of the church. So in other words, we have to maintain that distinction there. They are different institutions. However, both the church and the state are under the authority of God. So each one of these various spheres or institutions in society have their own respective operations. You could say their own sovereignty of sorts, but that's delegated by God in order for them to do what he is, uh, what he has set them up to do. Uh, The problem is that we in these various spheres don't always live or function according to uh, the will of God. And so these, these different uh, spheres, whether it's, say, marriage, uh, school, think of public school, they very much don't always act or operate in a Christian manner, especially these days. That's easy to see. If these are independent spheres, then how or should they be reforming or uh, how can they begin or return to operating according to uh, Christian morals, according to uh, what is pleasing to God? And are they supposed to? Right. This is essentially how do these different societal institutions function together, get along? Um, how are they independent from each other? One of Kuiper's concerns, and this is a very important concern and a very relevant concern even in our time, uh, was that in the modern age, as secular pluralism was on the rise, there's essentially a creeping problem of totalitarian statism. This was happening in the Netherlands in the late night or uh, yeah, late 19th, early 20th century is still going on there and is going on very much now in our country and in our time. Uh, what happens is when institutions break down, when institutions are not fulfilling their task properly, or even when they are, there is always an impulse on behalf of the state because power corrupts and Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't know where that quote comes from, but I've heard it a lot, and it's a good quote. The state has a tendency to sort of uh, fill in and in many ways even try to replace or try to rule over the other spheres. So, for instance, uh, we see in our nation a severe decline in the family. We have rates of... I mean, you can even just look at the statistical data, rates of children who do not have both parents in the home. We see a lot of people not having children. We see a lot of people who don't really have a nuclear family as a part of their lives, which the family is another. It's a very important to this concept of sphere sovereignty that family is one of the institutions by God and particularly important because you can even trace the institution of the family to the pre-fall state, a part of man's good creation in the image of God, was to be fruitful and multiply um, and to operate within the sphere of the family. 
that is eroded, I mean, in so many ways and places since the fall, but we see that especially eroding in our day. And so when the family declines, uh, who's there to pick up the tab? It's the state. Uh, the state has programs, the state has money, the state has all these things that basically try to replace the family and try to replace God's goodwill for the family with its own autonomous rule over things. And this is an important concept that we'll probably have to uh, parse out some more, too, is this idea of autonomy. While in a certain sense, the spheres are autonomous from each other, none of them operate autonomously from God. And uh, that is a very important factor to keep in mind. So Kuiper's concerned about uh, creeping totalitarian statism, which is a very real problem in our day because the state is constantly growing, seizing more power, seizing more control for itself, and trying to lord over the other institutions. And so another part of, the, of what we have to flesh out as we look at this is what are the boundaries on these spheres? What are the checks and balances? Where does the authority of one sphere stop? Where does the other sphere, where does the authority of the others begin? And what is to be done? Uh, how can there be corrective provided when the spheres are overstepping or where they're stepping where they don't belong? You had uh, what you said there, just as what I was getting at earlier, too, in speaking of this, uh, these spokes or the central wheel, you said that uh, every single one of these institutions, uh, these spheres, uh, are accountable to God. That is the very central point. Uh, they're, they're accountable to him and uh, his word in all ways. There is on one end the state being in its own sphere doesn't have the right to interfere directly in the governance of the church and its activities uh in in a sense likewise the church as an institution doesn't interfere with the state in its activities of governance, the two do not conflate as though they were one entity. Uh, likewise with the church, the family, and uh, Christian schools. This is what it means that in insofar as they are institutions, they are independent. And yet they stand alongside one another because they are all encompassed under the Lord's total sovereignty and what he is using all of these for. And yet, uh, and, and here's probably where Kuiper is uh, more often than not misunderstood. I want to read a, just a two brief quotes here from Volume 1 on Common Grace. Um, so pages 95 and 96, volume one, common grace. So just two quotes here that I think will help clarify what he's saying in terms of them being independent. Kuiper says, in the first place, God institutes government authority as such. And secondly, he ordains in his providential administration, the person who will exercise this governmental authority in a certain region or appointed country. If this sovereign or regent believes that this is how he received his authority, and if the subjects believe that this is how authority was invested in him, then this conviction is the bond that binds sovereign and subjects 
together, and this authority bears a holy character for both, and both are accountable to God for the things they know they have for or against that authority. The rule then is that by me kings reign, and the apostolic word becomes true that all authority that exists comes from God. Proverbs fifteen eight and Romans thirteen one is what he's citing. Uh, therein lies the solid foundation of authority, since God's will is exalted high above the changing character of our human way of life in his self-absolute. And he goes on to note uh, that this reigning by God's grace has nothing to do with the so-called divine right of kings, as if a sovereign were a privileged person who had received the entire people as his possession and at his disposal. Even less does it contain the idea of a theocracy, since a nation is governed theocratically only if God himself gives the law to a nation without the intervention of people, as he did to Israel, a law that is then also fixed and unchangeable. So Kuiper on one, on one end is talking about how uh, this distinction that God truly instituted the state, it just as with all the other institutions. And yet that institution or, or his overall administration and overseeing of all the affairs of the world doesn't mean that the state has a complete divine right, a, a, a total authority to, to basically stand in for the church. So although the state operates according to the moral law that is binding on the heart of every man, this doesn't mean it doesn't mean that the, the, the state is the one who is in charge of overseeing and it doesn't mean that the, the, the state is the one who uh, who is in charge of making sure people hold to scripture uh, itself, not properly uh, and making sure that people are, are living uh, the godly life per se. Because that is the domain of the church. And really, in other senses, too, the domain of the family, the domain of the individual. Now, this is where you start to see the rub as we situate this within uh, this taxonomy of views we've been looking at. We would see the rub against something like the modern two kingdoms view, which generally uh, defers to uh, the government's authority at any time that it is not a direct like mandate to sin or something of that regard. And then you also, though, see the rub against theonomy because this is not theocratic and it is not establishmentarianism. So what you do have going on here is essentially uh, limitations on the state's authority insofar as the rulers recognize that they rule under God's rule. Now, yeah, this is not a divine right. This is not that the state can do whatever it pleases. Again, Kuiper was concerned about totalitarian statism, uh, but this is also uh, not uh, we're going to reinstitute a mosaic law. Th this is uh, understanding the uh, limitations, but also the powers in the in the world apart from those things. 
I don't really know where I was going with that. <laughs> no, I know. I know what you're saying. The, um, there's the distinction in, uh, well, like we said, the state is used to curb evil. It is in that way in which the law or the, the, the general moral law of God is being, or I should say rather, even the, the second use of the law is being, uh, is being observed and, and carried out uh, in, in the curbing of, of evil and promotion of justice. Uh, but it is really ultimately God who has done that through the setting up of this administration. It doesn't require it. It doesn't have this this, if you will, proactive or active sense of uh, regulating the godly spiritual life through the uh, through the state for all peoples. Well, this this can be brought up in other in other elements uh, at another point, really, or, or or in what do you do with uh, say which Christianity would have authority in the church um, if 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 the the government is uh, operating or or is to operate in the Christian manner uh, intentionally if it if the church if the state is supposed to be, if you will, theonomic or theocratic, whose understanding or basis of Christianity uh, should it operate under? Um, um, perhaps in the past, you know, you might see uh, a, a Protestant form that then uh, a Protestant government that would outlaw uh, Roman Catholics within its borders or vice versa. But even within Protestantism, which, pro uh, which, which aspect of Protestants should rule, if you will, or should exercise uh, these general principles or the, the, this, the, the law of God in uh, society. And on the other end, uh, perhaps it could be, it, it, perhaps this is where, like Andrew said, you could see the, the critiques of, say, the theonomists towards uh, the Neo-Kyperian, or, or rather the Neo-Calvinists and, and, and this, this Kyperian model, um, in that it sounds like uh, we'd be saying that there is such a separation between these spheres that they're virtually all so independent of each other that they're isolated, uh, and that they're. It, it sounds like that um, Escondido Two Kingdoms model. But the core of what Kuiper's speaking of here um, is this sort of uh, the sphere sovereignty. Uh, these independent, if you will, uh, institutions are within the hold of, uh, of of God's own sovereignty, like we've been saying. So there is an aspect of sphere universality. There is an aspect in which these spheres do uh, relate to one another, not in terms of their governance and function, but with respect to the accountability that each of these institutes or spheres are to hold um, the other spheres to to continue carrying out their their delegated task appropriately anyways that's all the time that we have for now uh, you know and until then uh, you know we, we thank you for your continued uh, support and listening and we'd ask if you would uh, consider supporting um, uh, through a uh, uh, through sponsoring us, uh, through a financial donation, uh, continue to lift us up on, on, uh, in prayers, um, in that we would, uh, 
uh, you know, continue to be a, a, a blessing to whoever uh, listens, and as well as that we would be built up in in the knowledge of these things, um, not for our own sake, but uh, to the glory of God and continuing in the service of his, of, uh, of his church, and especially in this dark age uh, with so much opposition and culture and uncertainty. Uh, do subscribe uh, on our Substack. Um, continue getting uh, episodes uh, and, and updates from us. Um, and uh, you know, until next time, uh, we have no pithy sign-off again. So, um, yeah. Sad. Yeah. All right. Sad sign-off. <laughs> Bye. Sad sign-off. And take it, Heidi. Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once For All Delivered.